Hey friends, Brett from Trogonomics. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 2. I hope you're having a great day. Thanks so much for listening. Let's get right down to it. So Season 2, Episode 2, we're going to talk about savings again. And I want to just be clear and, and a little bit transparent. This particular episode was really the foundation for the whole Season 2. Uh, when Trog and I got together to think about some of the topics that we would talk about and an overall theme for Season 2, we wanted to talk about savings, the different champagne glasses around the savings options and responsibilities that we all have. Uh, and we wanted to take it under the impression that we're in a good place with our job. We've got our budget together. We're being very analytical with our thinking about how we're spending and how we're saving. And we're thinking in the long term. With that in mind, this particular episode was quite long. We went about an hour and a half in our conversation and we covered three major topics. And when it was all said and done, we decided to break it into three separate episodes. So you're going to get episode two, part one right now. And we're going to focus on the champagne glass of savings that is cash, cash equivalents, and really meant for that emergency fund. Uh, that, oh, oh, what just happened, self-insurance on some level that we talk about. And as we go through the episode, we're going to talk about Trog's level of risk, his comfort with risk versus mine. We're going to talk about some of the different influences that we have, and we're going to hit all the options and, and what to do with that in the long term. Once we get through this episode, we'll drop a couple more. We're going to hit the second and third part. Uh, those will be coming up in the coming weeks. So, with, uh, with that in mind, I hope you enjoy the episode. If you have questions, if you have comments, if you want to do a little bit of a deeper dive, you can hit us in the comments section. You can also hit us on social, Trogonomics, or you can go to the website, trogonomics.com. Much appreciation for your listening. Have a wonderful day, and we'll see you next time. So, you know, we've been talking a little bit about what the what this, this long-term strategy is. We, we've, um, we've talked a little bit about, you know, your process of uh, now, now that things are clicking a little bit, we're making the kind of wage that we we can not only live comfortably on, but we can take care of our, uh, of our family on and we start thinking about the future. We put out this goal, we used your, your 4% rule. We put out this goal of like, okay, here's the long-term future value. What do we do with that number? How do we get there? Uh, we've got, in say in my case, I'm in my early 40s. We've got maybe 20, 25 years to get there. Uh, maybe in a young, just getting warmed up in college, or maybe just getting out of college, early 20, got maybe 40 years. Maybe we've got a sliding scale of what our expectations are for when we exit our working life, and do we want to retire in our early 50s or something like that versus our 60s. So we're, we're figuring out that number to our individual taste. It's a big number. It's a long time. How do you fly a big plane for a long time and win, right? So so tell me a little bit about kind of where your head's at. How did you approach this? You know, set the table a little bit here for me. Yeah. So what I hope to talk about today is concretely, like you said, we've put a target and a goal out. We've worked our way backwards to what the, the savings rate should look like, but what do we do with that money for the next 20 to 40 years? Um, you know, what kind of things should we be, should we be investing in? What kind of savings vehicles should we, should be using? So we wanted to start getting a little, getting a little more granular and talking about some of those things, you know, acknowledging that it's a long time to stay the course for a lot of these goals. And, you know, the, yeah, you know, stuff happens, pandemics and recessions and 
Yeah. So it's it, it, and, it can be, you know, it can be like straightforward to say this is what I'm going to do. But the emotions between now and then and sticking to it can be a thing as well. So to your point, it's a long time to keep the plane in the air. Right. To use that analogy. It's a long time to keep the fuel in the tank and pandemics. Yeah. But there's also life changes and there's also mistakes. Right. So, uh, you know, personal experience. And I think it's not out of the question to say, like, if you look around your peer group, who's had a couple of life changes in their path from start to finish on this process, right? Whether it's family costs, maybe it's career pivots or, you know, career changes that were unexpected. Maybe it was financial uh, emergencies that were unexpected, medical, right? All kinds of stuff can happen. So you're kind of going through this process of like, uh, you know, it's not easy. It's a long time and there's going to be speed bumps. Um, and as we often talk about, we are at various degrees emotionally charged when it comes to money. Some people are terrified of it. Some people are, you know, hypersensitive, hyperaggressive. You're right down there in the middle. You're just peacefully walking down the middle of this path, making good decisions. Help, help us kind of walk through that. Where, where did you come from? Uh, you know, obviously you have the, the formal classically trained mind of PhD economic scientists, right? How, how did we get there? Tell me a few of the things before we get started. Like what was your, what were some of those influences growing up that maybe you were able to, to mute or to accelerate? What were some of the things that you just live with on a daily basis? You know, you get the same text messages, the same tweets, the same media influences that we all get. How do you calm those down? Uh, or how do you turn them up when you see, you know, a nugget there that you want to take away? Yeah, you know, thinking back to early influences, I mean, some of it's probably just personality. I mean, I was I was a kid who, if I got a new toy at Christmas and it used batteries, I thought long and hard about when and where I wanted to play with the toy because I knew the battery was going to last a certain length of time. I don't know a lot of other kids that worried about that, but I was definitely one of them. Yeah. <laughs> Um, um, I would have been one of those kids that didn't worry about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, in my in my world, there was an infinite supply of batteries in the junk drawer in the kitchen, and for whatever reason, that worked out. <laughs> so I think some of it's personality, and then you know we all have family stories with money as well. And you know, I'm thinking about especially investing and long term kinds of things. I can think of back over kind of generations of my on my dad's side. You know, my his dad was. Uh, lived through the Great Depression, was extremely conservative, had had seen the great or seen the the stock market fall when he was very young and saw what happened afterwards and almost really never came back into the stock market. He he was a good saver, but he kept it in some of the less volatile assets that we'll talk about here later. Um, you know, my dad being a in the baby boom generation kind of went the other direction. And I saw, you know, I saw him in the 90s get very aggressive in his 40s and the tech bubble popped in the, you know, 2000, 2001. And so here he is at age 50. He's been very aggressive, very successful. Then all of a sudden it's huge setback, you know, relatively late in his career. So I've kind of seen both sides of it. And I, I think I've tried to pick what I'll hopefully try to convince you is a good middle way between those two. <laughs> um, you know, I, and one of the things I, I'd like to talk about and kind of build towards is committing to a plan. So we, a few years ago, we actually wrote down uh, an investment policy statement that listed the goals we like we talked about last time, but it also then listed our 
investing philosophy and our strategy. And we tried to think in advance about when would we adjust the strategy and in what cases. Um, and so I liked the idea of, you know, sitting down in a calm, rational state before all of the, the crashes and the pandemics and everything yeah. hit and try to think in advance. And, and commit ourselves to a plan that we could we could pull back out when the when the going got tough. So you literally have a moment with your partner. You sit down and you write your mission statement, or maybe not mission statement is the right word, but you write your your guardrails. Yeah. Um, and and what's the time frame? How often do you revisit this? Is this a is this a one and done? Is it a every year? Is it a milestone? Uh, walk walk me through this a little bit. This is um, this is. Something that on the commercial side of it, yeah, absolutely. If you manage uh, someone's portfolio, you have these types of statements. You have a set of guidelines when you're in the professional world. But as a personal member of society managing your own money, I might think that this is a little bit rare. Yeah, we in terms of the frequency, it's it's a it's not something we look at that often. You know, I may pull it out on an annual kind of wrapping up the year kind of thing. But um, in the document, we actually talk about how often we're going to look at it and how often we're going to we're going to revise it. And I, mean, I think you're right in the sense that you know professional money managers do this, but we all kind of have to be our own money managers, right? I mean, we're yeah. These days, without a lot of corporate pensions around, we're really responsible for our own nest eggs. And so I'm I'm hopeful that this series kind of helps people feel more comfortable doing that. I don't think it's too far off the mark to think of yourself that way, uh, especially for these big goals we're talking about. And so finding the kinds of practices that professionals do, I think this is a this is a good one. Thinking about what you're going to do in the good and bad situations when before they get there and anticipating them. Yeah. Yeah. I like that idea. I like that. That's um. That's, you know, when you, when you take the emotion out of money, you have to put things in place to almost guard you, guard yourself from, from those emotional influences. So this is a great idea. Uh, This is, this is a good part of that. Um, Walk me through, um, you know, as you're, as you're writing this statement and you're, you know, you're working on this, what are the, what are the areas that you're thinking about? Maybe take it a granular, granular level down for me as I try to spit that word out. <laughs> take it down one rung and share with me kind of that first layer when you're thinking about you've got this big goal, you've got this big number, uh, you got a lot of time, right. you've got the potential for mistakes. I've made mistakes along the way. You mentioned your dad got a little too aggressive and, and um, you know, had to take a little bit of a, of a refocus uh, during the early tech um, status. And... And to be fair, you know, most of our peers have probably um, danced with setbacks at one point in their life, whether, you know, like we've said in the past, maybe it's life events, maybe it's career events, maybe it's, you know, financial mistakes. Right, right. Um, and not all of them are, are obvious either, right? I mean, you can be too conservative and not take enough risk with your money and end up losing out as well, right? You just wouldn't, you just don't see it as much because you don't have that counterfactual of, oh, I my balance could have been this much higher if I had just making a, you know, took an prudent right. investment decision. So yeah, I think the, as I mentioned before, you kind of start with your goals and we've spent some time doing that on the last episode. I think the next piece we want, I want to talk about to build this plan is, is to think about what uh, kind of what your ingredients for the recipe are, right? Like what are the options I have to choose from when I'm thinking about yeah. where to put my money? Yeah. Um, what and are I, those options? Yeah. So I wanted to kind of break those into some some investment classes that have different properties. And the the first and easiest one is cash or cash equivalents. So 
Okay. This would include anything from your, your savings account, your bank, certificates of deposit, where you put money away for a guaranteed amount of time, uh, money market accounts, or if you're, you know, if you're buying like U.S. Treasury bills, they all act like cash. And this one's probably the easiest for most people to understand. I mean, the way it works is it's, it's like a, a piggy bank, right? You're, I'm just going to put some money in here. And for the most part, not much is going to happen with it. It's going to be very stable in the value that it has. It's not, if you check your savings account number, it's not going up and down wildly from week to week. But the drawback is that these, these types of cash accounts don't earn a lot of their own money. So they don't earn much interest and they don't grow very quickly. So they are good for short-term kinds of goals. I, I kind of like to say maybe like two years and less. If you, if you need this money, you're going to use the money for something in the next couple of years, then this may be an asset that you'd want to think about. So if this is the emergency fund, potentially, is this a vacation savings approach as well? Or is that maybe considered elsewhere? Depending on the time horizon, but I think a lot of times, yes, if I'm, you know, if I'm saving for a big trip in the next two or three years, I, I don't necessarily want to put that in the, in a, in a market that could lose 30% of its value in the next year. Right. Like I want it to be there. Yeah. So you don't want and, to risk that. Right. Um, so like yeah, I, I think those, those really short-term goals, emergency fund, that's where you think about using these kinds of cash. Assets. So I, I have a couple of questions about this, right? We're talking about, we're not, we're not risking the money but, and we're not making a higher return on investment. We might be making fractions of a percent, right? Which is fine. But talk to me about liquidity, mm. right? So I've got, let's say I've got my emergency fund. I'm working towards getting it all set up or I'm already at that point where it, it, I've got my six to nine month um, cluster mm -hmm. and that life event happens. Can I get it? Uh, under which circumstance, right? right How right. quickly can I get that money? What do you, you know, walk me through the liquidity concept of that because I don't want to be giving away some of that money uh, when I really need it. That's right. And this, of the of the three asset classes we'll talk about, this is usually the most liquid. So it's easiest to get to, again, especially if it's sitting in like a checking or savings account. I mean, my app, when I move money from savings to checking, it's basically instantaneous these days. Um, and so, and you're right, especially for the emergency fund part, you want this generally to be something you can get out relatively quickly. And, you know, cash is generally that way. Certificates of deposit, I, I kind of put in this bucket, they, with the certificate of deposit, you basically promise to keep your money at the bank for a, a fixed amount of time. It can be as short as three months. It can be as long as five or 10 years. Those often will have fees to break them if you need to cash them out. Uh, but you can, you can mix and match, you know, so if I've got a, a year long emergency fund, maybe six months of that, I keep purely as cash in my savings account, but the other six, maybe I can lock up three months at a time gotcha. and get a few more fractions of a percentage point <laughs> on my return. Gotcha. So you can, you can literally diversify each bucket, right? So we can have like, like, let's say just in case that, and you know, let's be honest, it's going to happen. Something's going to happen. I've got that emergency fund ready to go. I can pull from it instantly, but not all of it. Right. And then I've got time for that. Do I, am I able to get back on track or am I going to need to pull from that? Well, when I need to pull from that, I'm going to hold it. I'm going to hold it when it, when the six months comes up uh, on that term of the CD or that one year or whatever, then I can pull it in and move it into a more liquid situation. 
Yeah. And, um, the C- and the CDs work well for those, those target things. Like I know I'm taking a trip in three years or maybe I've got kids that are well into high school and I know that I'm going to be cutting a check for tuition in two years. You know, those are another place where within the cash bucket, you can lock it up for a little bit longer amount of time just, you know, to get a little bit better return in the interim. So but the goal, but the goal here with cash is not return, right? The goal is I want the money to be there relatively quickly and I need to be able to get to it. Do you, do you go through a process like you've got, you've got a portion of your emergency fund liquid, you've got a portion of it, let's call it semi-liquid, right? In that, maybe that six month CD that you just kind of roll and roll and roll and roll. Let's say you're going through your life and you haven't had to pull from it, right? And, and the liquid is still there. The semi-liquid is still there. Do you ever think like, you know what, things are, things are good. I'm, I've moved away from portions of my life that might be more risky. I mean, my career is a little bit more settled. You're a tenured professor, for example. When you went from not being tenured to tenured, did you say like, you know what, let's just put all of that into the semi-liquid portion because, you know, and if you're in a, a secure role at your job, if there's a layoff or a round of restructuring, you're going to get a severance package, right? So you may not need to just emergency yank that out the way that if, you know, something early in your career where your severance package or your career would have been a little bit more volatile, um, do you make some adjustments along the way? Or do you just like, hey, this is what it is? I, I think it's it's totally fine to make those adjustments. And I, it's obviously a personal choice. I mean, I, one quick anecdote here. Yes, I had actually reduced my kind of cash emergency fund bucket in the, in the last couple of years and had started putting that towards some other kind of longer term goals. And um, I'll confess that emotionally when the pandemic hit earlier this year, I did have the thought, I think I would actually be a little more comfortable just seeing some of that money back in my savings account. So this past year, I've let cash build up again in the savings account, even given that I've got a really stable job and my wife's in a field that's easy to get, you know, easy to get hired into. But I, I had to confess to myself that when, you know, when the world looked upside down, I, I did realize that my savings account balance being a little higher would help me sleep a little better at night. So I've actually come back to some more cash. Interesting. Than I okay. Have. So you, there's been times where you've, you've felt a little bit more at ease and then times where you've been, and you've been able to adjust to that. That's good. I appreciate that. I, before we move on, I want to ask one more thing about this category and, and elaborate as you, as you like, let's talk about T-bills just for a second. Mm. Um, I think a lot of us are comfortable with the idea of a CD, very easily accessible through our online banking. We're seeing opportunities for those. Um, We've heard whether our financial mentors or financial influencers have have never not mentioned that, I I would argue, in a lot of cases. Uh, Money market accounts, kind of similar. It's a gentle step into the stock market world. Right, it's it's one rung below mutual funds or index funds. It's two rungs below, um, you know, five rungs below day trading on <laughs> Robinhood or whatever. Right, but we but we know that. Share with me a little bit about treasury bills. Tell me what it is. Where do you get them? How do you? What do you get out of them? What's the just just what's the who, what, where, when, and why of that? Just for a moment. Yeah, so treasury bills are an interesting one. They're um, they they start to bleed in a little bit towards the next bucket around fixed income and bonds, but you're basically buying these from the government. You have to buy them in, I think there's kind of a minimum denomination that you have to buy them in. So usually have to put a little bit of money towards them. Economists usually categorize treasury bills 
as cash because you're basically loaning the government an extremely short-term loan and it's considered very safe. And in fact, we often use it as what we call the risk-free asset. If basically loaning the U.S. government money for you know a week, it's going to get paid back, almost never defaults. And on a kind of in the world scale, it's considered one of the safest things you can do with your money. So we often use that as basically like the fancy finance version of cash. And as a person, as a personal investor, you can go and buy these directly from the government. But I, I'm going to get the number wrong. But it's something like ten thousand dollar units or something. So a lot of people probably don't do this much themselves. But conceptually, it's it acts like cash. Gotcha. So similar to a CD, but instead of the bank giving it to you, instead of the bank kind of regulating the the amount of money you can use, which, you know, I think you, you could put a hundred dollars in a CD if you wanted to, right. you're, you're, you're working with the government, the federal reserve, and you're playing in a different stadium, fair to say. Right now I've heard of this website called Google. Uh, I don't know if you've, you've seen it yet, but essentially you could put something into Google, like where do I buy T-bills? And it would tell me, it, let's just skip that step. Break it down for me. Do I go to my bank to do this? Do I have to go to a, a different source? Who who brokers T bills uh, on this market? So that I will confess, I've never actually purchased them myself. I am pretty sure there is the one of the first Google hits you would get would be a government website to go buy them. I I don't think you have to go through an intermediary. Cool. You can go straight to the government, and then but you have to play by their rules. To your point, like it's right. going to be a bigger chunk. Um, liquidity, um, is it a similar, like a six month, 12 month, or is it, you know, when you say a short term loan to the government, the government sometimes thinks in four year brackets from what I've uh, seen politically and less about, um, you know, those six month or 12 month brackets. Uh, is there a component there? Yeah, it's going to be on the less liquid side of the, of the class or bucket we're talking about here. So, um, think of it more like a CD, less like a savings account. So for those of us that are maybe earlier in this process, CDs, cash accounts, um, savings accounts, that, that's maybe where we want to play. If, we, if we're getting into a comfort position, a bigger financial goodie bag to work with, that's when we can start playing with the T-bills, fair to say. Yeah, it's maybe I, the second rung of, of this process. I think you're right. It's important not to overly complicate this, this bucket, right? The, we're, yeah. return, we're not chasing return here. We're, what, we're, what we really want here is stability. So don't overthink it. Yeah, I, I think when when you when you put the stake in the ground of we are not chasing return, full stop. Then it becomes about what's the easiest way to not chase return. You know, right now I've got an iPhone that has an app on it that's connected to my bank. I can get CDs there. Maybe that's just as easy as we need it to be. Yeah. Um, and and as you become a little bit more sophisticated, or like I was saying, your your goodie bag gets a little bit bigger, you can experiment a little bit there. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to belabor this, but I also don't want to to move away from this. We talked a little bit about this with insurance, um, and I think it's really important to have this hard line definition of some of these points. That, uh, as an emotional person about money and somebody who can, you know, my reactions can spike up or down based on certain things. When we talked about insurance, you said specifically, Brett, we are not trying to win. In insurance, we are trying to cover our losses when the losses inevitably happen. When the car crashes, we're good. You know, if there's a, a life event and loss of life, the people that you leave behind are good. The house burns down, you're good, right? We're not trying to like game the system a little bit. This bucket, this class, this champagne glass, cash, 
we are not trying to get a return on investment. We are trying to have that cash ready when the inevitable, oh crap, this just happened. And thank goodness I wasn't too risky. Yeah, you know, I think that, I think that's a good analogy, especially the, for the emergency fund. I mean, that you can think of that as an as a self you're self insuring against losses, and so that's exactly right. Like you you want it there when you need it, but we're not. This isn't what's going to make us millionaires. Is this bucket? We need some other stuff for that. Perfect. We're not looking for a return. This isn't going to be where we where we make our break. Right. Cool. Right. Okay. All right, friends, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Trog and I absolutely enjoyed recording it. I love these conversations that he and I have because we can really put down a lot of the other things and just focus on uh, one or two points. And in this case, obviously talking about emergency funds, talking about cash, talking about how liquid we should be. Uh, Some of the things that scare Trog, you know, going into uh, a longer stretch of the pandemic, um, how he reacted. Thinking about our emergency fund and our champagne glass of cash, similar to the way we would think about insurance. Not an area that we want to win, but an area that we want to be conservative and that we want to be uh, have a preservation style mindset. So I really appreciate the listening. I hope you got some good intel out of it, as I did. Coming up in the next couple of episodes, we'll go into the second and third segments of this episode. Of this, uh, particular conversation. We're going to talk about some strategies for more risky investing uh, than cash, of course. And then, uh, But we'll talk about some of the other champagne glasses that we're going to start filling up. Long-term retirement, medium-term saving for certain projects that we want to do. Thanks again for listening. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you next time.